And good morning, everyone, and welcome to the studio here, Triple H 100.1 FM in the lovely, sunny Hornsby, although I do hear we're going to be getting some clouds later today in Sydney, and of course, across the community radio network around Australia. You're listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd, and today we are talking about a subject which might make a few of you feel uncomfortable, but more importantly, it'll make you feel educated. We're talking about a living will. Now, a living will is a is what is uh, our guest David Peaston is from Peaston Legal is going to be talking to us about a little bit later. But let's have a think about what that means as a small business. Now, many of us who have businesses go, okay, yes, I know I need a will. I need to think of our family. I need to think of uh, our possessions, our assets. But we don't often roll in the fact that your business is an asset also. That's one aspect we're going to be talking about. Another one is when you think about uh, perhaps you might be in a partnership or even just your other stakeholders who are part of your business, your employees, your suppliers, your clients. Uh, how does this, um, how is this important and why do you need to think about this when you're considering a legal will? So David Peaston is here with us today. He's passionate about empowering small businesses with great legal education and it was actually he who came to me to suggest that we tackle this topic. It's not a topic I thought about, I must say, when I was thinking about small business, but the more I thought about it, the more I realised that um, it's very important that we are made aware of it. Welcome to the program, David. Thank you, Alexis. <laughs> now, it's it's a great to have you in the studio and I, I really appreciate you coming in and uh, finding and seeking me out because you are extremely passionate about em- empowering not only small businesses, but obviously your clients. Now, let's start with the typical disclosure that we need to plonk into any show where we've got legal stuff. Let me just say it all nice and formal. Any legal information given in this program in general in nature and cannot be relied on by listeners as legal advice. You are advised to take your own legal advice in relation to your own circumstances. <laughs> Did I do that right? Thank you, Alexis. That's fabulous. <laughs> so so let's talk about, firstly, uh, wills, enduring powers of attorney and appointments of enduring guardianships. They're the big three. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit more later on as well, but let's talk about wills. Okay, so I think we all understand the concept of a will and why it's important, but let's go into a little bit about the controls when you actually pass. Um, now, it's your executor, right? Your executor is entrusted with the administration. Can you explain to me what that role entails? The executor is the person that you appoint under your will who's going to be responsible for administering your will and, and administering your estate when you die. Mm. So the executor can be your spouse. It could be a trusted advisor, for example. In the case of a small business, it can quite often be a, a trusted advisor like an accountant or financial advisor or lawyer, for that matter. And uh, you can have more than one executor. So um, there's no particular limit to how many you can have. You could have your adult children. A lot of people appoint their adult children as their executors. You can't have people under 18 because they're not considered to be of legal capacity. Mm-hmm. And you should always have a, a person who's a backup. So if your initial choice or choices can't do the job or unable, unwilling, whatever, then you need to have somebody who can do the job as an alternative. So let's face it. I mean, often when we do, uh, we consider our wills, we consider, we go, oh, thank goodness, that's done. Okay, put it to bed, get everything signed, I'm done. And then you might consider it about 10 years later when you look at it again, which of course you wouldn't recommend, but uh, that's the reality. And, and that's why you have, I guess, multiple executives so that if somebody is no longer, is incapacitated themselves, then you've always got a backup plan. Well, that's exactly right. And the job can continue, not only can it be quite some time before your executive needs to step in, hopefully it is in most cases, but the job itself can continue for a long time. So you need to select people who are able to do the job over an extended period of time. And um, 
preferably they need to be physically located reasonably close to you. For example, you don't want an executor who's overseas mm. or even somebody who's in another state. Documents need to be signed. You need to consider the practicalities of it. And because the practicalities of running a business and the way that that integrates with a will, of course, can be physical assets. And um, it's always best to have someone on hand so that they can be available, appointments, all that sort of thing, all the logical stuff. Exactly, exactly. Yep. So let's talk about um, a will and why small business should be, what should we particularly be thinking about when it comes to a will in different, in different structures, I guess? Well, in, in a family business and small business particularly, the critical issues are, tr- are control. So by your will or by your other mechanisms, you need to make sure that you've passed effective control to the person who's going to carry on the business for you after you die, or indeed in the case of powers of attorney and guardianships and so on, if you lose capacity to make your own decisions. So it's important to understand that companies and trusts don't die when you die. Mm. A company is an entity that continues on, as is a trust. So your executor may need to have, in the case of small business, uh, they may need to have particular business skills to be able to continue on with the business after you die or if you become incapacitated. Even for the point in time when they're wrapping up the business, if that's what ends up happening, they still need to have the, that business acumen to be able to, to do it, right? Absolutely. And they may need to have good access to your financial advisors, your accountants and the other professionals that you rely on from time to time to, to assist them in that role. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's familiar with, uh, say, the business. Say, if you're a bookkeeper, they don't have to be a bookkeeper, do they? Because they're not, they're not essentially being the business owner. If you've got staff, that can all still happen underneath. It's just more about um, keeping a finger on the pulse and making sure that everything's ticking over nicely so it continues. That's true. You don't need to have somebody who themselves is an expert. Mm. On the other hand, you do need somebody who's got the capacity and capability to make sure that they... Uh, engage the correct people to help them with the job, so um, it's it's not a, a, it's not a role without responsibility. It's got significant responsibilities, particularly for small businesses. And I suppose the takeaway from that is, if you consider your small business, uh, I guess, important enough after you're incapacitated that you need it to continue, because obviously, small business renowned for caring after their staff, for their clients, for their uh, their suppliers, and you don't want everything to just fall over. So this is about putting things in place to make sure that it doesn't. Precisely, mm. that's exactly right. So. Um, what happens if you don't? So what, 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 what's the process if you don't actually have anything in place uh, as a small business owner which, where, your will is, where your business is specifically considered within the will? Well, if you don't have a will at all, that's called an intestacy. And the laws of intestacy generally mean that the estate, sorry, that the state, New South Wales, would decide what happens to your property when you die. Um, so the state gets to choose... That can have very unexpected outcomes for people and generally people don't understand, especially these days where there are things like blended families where you may have uh, a spouse or two spouses who have children from different relationships Um, or you might have a case where there's multiple spouses. For example, you might have a spouse and a de facto and in those situations the laws of intestacy can give unexpected and perhaps unwelcome results. Furthermore, particularly with small business, if you die without a will, 
then it's going to be quite difficult for your for the, for the state to appoint somebody who's going to take the job on for you to run the business. That person will not be a person of your choosing or may not be a person of your choosing or someone you may have chosen if you had the chance. So kind of like legal aid, we've got a group of people who go around dealing with these estates and I guess their plan is to wrap things up as quickly as they possibly can just to get it off their plate. Am I, am I being a bit crude there? Is that is that what we can assume if you leave it to the state to handle? They're not going to do as good a job as someone who actually cares about it, that's for sure. Well, the person who's going to get appointed quite often will be a person who is a beneficiary or would be a natural beneficiary of your estate had you made a will. But that person may not be somebody who's appropriate whatsoever in relation to your small business. So it's very much a potluck situation for you. Yeah, and not something that's ideal by any stretch of the imagination. I think what I want everyone to take away from this is that it's not just about having a will, but it's about having, I guess, a will that considers your small business. Is that about having a section that's especially written up in your will because you're a small business owner or you, you have this PTYLTD company? Is that how it works in terms of the process? In terms of the process, you can have clauses in the will which deal with particular appointments, for example, appointments to the company or appointments to a trust if you have a trust that runs your small business. So, yes, you can have particular appointments made under the will that contemplate what might need to be done in the event of your death and uh, those clauses make a lot of sense. Can you make specific instructions like I deem my business should continue for the next five years by hook or by crook, I just want it to keep going or I want my business to be wrapped up as quickly as possible? Are you able to dictate those sort of terms? You can dictate to a certain degree what happens. Uh, I don't think you could say you want your business to run for five years. That's <laughs> going to be in, in the hands of the business and the economy and everything else. But you certainly can say if you want your estate if your assets, if you want, if the business forms part of your assets, presumably it does, and you want your assets to be realised and turned into money and distributed to your family, then you can leave instructions like that for your executor, and your executor would be bound by those instructions. Mm. So, so I, I've got this notion in my head, and um, I'm a small business owner, so I can do everything because I wear all the hats, and I'm going to make my own will. Why is that not such a good idea? <laughs> well, making your own will is something which litigation lawyers absolutely love because that's where a lot of lawsuits come from. People make mistakes when they make their own wills and forget to do things. They might even forget something simple like having the will properly signed. So you should always, particularly for people with small businesses where their family relies on them for an income, they should be properly planned and, and do a proper will and not leave it to potluck and not try and do something themselves. And and I guess wrapped up in all of that is, is things like um, financial affairs. So I always find that quite a, a sort of a wishy-washy subject. What do you consider in, in terms of a will to be financial affairs? When you speak to somebody and take their instructions about a will, one of your fundamental jobs is to try and get an understanding of their estate. So the estate would generally be perhaps a family home, it might be shares, it might be a superannuation portfolio. There may be a number of elements to a person's estate which should be considered. So when you're considering somebody's financial affairs, you really need to get a good grip on that so that when you prepare a will for a client, you need to understand clearly what they have and also clearly what they want to do with what they have. Mm. In order to make sure that their wishes for their small business continue or don't. Correct. Now, we talked at the beginning of the program about this concept of a living will. 
why isn't that just a will? What what is it that makes that terminology so different? A living will is is terminology that applies to more what would happen to you at the end of life. So a common phrase for a living will would be something like a do not resuscitate instruction. Oh, okay, I get so you. So that is a living will. You're still alive, but this is what I want to happen to me if I've lost capacity, if I'm unconscious, if I'm seriously ill and 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 there's no hope for me, what do I want the doctors and my family and everyone else to do? That is a living will. Why do we have to consider that as a small business? Isn't that just part of any will? Is that Why is it uh, another sort of aspect to consider with your estate if you're wrapping things up in the most um, certain way? <laughs> well, I think it's probably not that relevant to the small business issue, but when you're considering the other elements of your estate, estate planning, your will, your power of attorney, your in- enduring guardianship, then you should consider those matters and it's a perfect opportunity to think about your wishes in in respect of what might happen at the end of your life. Mm. If you have a serious accident and you're left in a vegetative state with no hope of survival without life-sustaining measures, for example, and to have an opportunity to talk those things over with your family and with your business partners, for example, so that people know what you want. So it's kind of like when you're asked um, if you'd like to donate a kidney, you need to make everyone aware around you aware that that's what your wishes are, as well as filling out some paperwork and doing what you need to do with your lawyer. Yes, exactly. So Let people know what you want. That way there's no surprises and no disputes later. There'll still be disputes. Well, there'll still be disputes. That's true. <laughs> I don't think that's going to get you out of it. But um, it certainly makes things easier. I mean, do you advocate for everyone sitting down at a dinner table and having a great big discussion about it or or do you recommend to your clients that people sit down one-on-one with the important people um, that will be looking after their will to talk it through with them? What's your preferred method? I I think the most important person to talk it through or people to talk it through with are the people who you're going to entrust. For example, your executors, your guardians, your attorneys, those sorts of people. So they know that's the most important. But secondly, I think you do need to talk to your family in general about what you want to do. And uh, and obviously, if you've got a small business to your business partners and possibly, depending on your relationship with them, your employees and others, so that people know what your expectations and hopes might be. It's funny you should bring up partners because I think this is a really important aspect of what we're talking about today because if you've got a business that will continue without you because you're in a partnership, um, then everybody really needs to be aware of of your because you need to make sure your family's still looked after in this partnership scenario because uh, correct me if I'm wrong but if you've got a, a business that's in a partnership do does your family still benefit from your share of the business earnings after you die well in a partnership or a business which might be for example a company so there's various ways you can structure a business. You could have a partnership in which two people just get together. You can have a company in which people have shares or you can have a, a unit trust, for example, where people own units in a trust, which is itself responsible for operating the business. And everyone should be talking to their accountant about this, by the way, if you're Quite thinking so. of different options. Yes. Yeah. And, and take appropriate advice, not only from accountants, but, but also legal advice, mm. dare I say. Mm. Um, so in that situation, you need to really contemplate what might happen with your your share of your business, be it a partnership or a, or a shares in a company or units in a trust. 
And and yes, indeed, you do still, your family should benefit if you're a shareholder or a partner or a unit holder in a business. And you need to, to consider and talk to your partners, shareholders, co-unit holders, what, what, what might happen in the event of your death or permanent disability so that appropriate arrangements can be made for your family to benefit from, from your share of the business. Are they bound by it? Those partners that um, who are left behind, the, the other, uh, you know, the other owners of the business in, in a scenario like this, are they legally bound to undertake your wishes? Sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. For example, if they if there's a binding partnership agreement or a binding uh, shareholders agreement or unit holders agreement, then your partners, shareholders, unit holders would be bound by those agreements. If there's no such agreement, then sometimes you have to rely on a thing that, for example, in a company called the constitution of the company, and you certainly need advice to have a look at these sorts of matters, but you might need to rely on those sorts of documents which may provide for, for example, the preemptive acquisition of shares of somebody who's no longer wants to have them or can no longer want to have them if they're dead. But you're certainly advised in those situations in small businesses where you do have partner shareholders or co-unit holders, certainly advised to make sure that you have a document which sets out precisely what will happen, one of those agreements. And yes, those agreements are binding. It's very interesting because I, I would I would question how many of you out there who are either engaging in a small business of that sort of structure have considered that as part of your shareholders agreement. Is it in the standard one? Is it kind of, is there a stock standard bit that talks about people who are incapacitated or dead um, that can no longer continue in those sort of agreements? Is that standardised these days or is it actually something you all need to sit down with your legal team, with your accountant and say, okay, in the event of this is what's going to happen in our particular company? A lot of the agreements do have common or vanilla flavoured clauses in them. But what I always advise my clients is that they should sit down with their partners and families and uh, business partners, that is, and families and talk about what they think should happen in the event that the, that they die and and decide how it should take place and set it down in a procedural way. So if I die, then I want either my spouse to get my shares or I want to sell the shares back to the other partners or however that might happen, I always advise my clients to think it through themselves first and then open up a document and decide whether the standard clauses in a document suit or need amendment. And, and circumstances change. Obviously, um, you may be incapacitated by illness and you might need to revisit those documents under different circumstances. You know, the, the, the company structure might change and it's something you always need to go back and consider when you're rewriting those documents, I would presume. It's certainly not set and forget. None of this stuff is set and forget. There's always going to be changes in your life. You might lose a spouse. Your children may leave home and go somewhere else. You might become estranged from them. The business changes, your partners change in the business. Every single major life event or change really should cause you to sit down and think about whether the arrangements you've made on your death or permanent incapacity are satisfactory or need to be amended. Lots of takeaways so far in our first section of our show. We're going to go to a quick uh, sponsorship announcement here on Triple H 100.1 FM. When we come back with Small Biz Matters, we're going to talk about the appointment of your enduring guardian. What should they be expected to do and what are, is how does that conversation go when you're uh, appointing them? You're listening to Small Biz with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. 
So today we're talking all about a subject which uh, may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable because we're talking about death, we're talking about medical conditions and we're talking about legal. So it's three very compliance heavy topics and uh, the best thing to do of course is to engage with your legal team. I've got an expert with me today, David Peaston, um, who is talking to us about something he's very passionate about which is ensuring that small businesses actually understand what a living will is how they need to incorporate it into their business planning and their agreements and all of the paperwork um, and what things to consider when you're doing so. So just before the break, we were talking about uh, the different aspects you need to be aware of, why you need to consider it. And especially when a small business is such a big asset, it's not only an asset to you now, but into the future, it can continue to provide your family with income. Now, David, let's talk about uh, the appointment of an enduring guardian. Um, that's a very important role, isn't it? And, and why, um, what does a guardian do and why is it considered enduring? A guardian is a person who is the one who will be responsible when you lose your mental capacity for making decisions about your health uh, affairs, uh, where you live and what kind of personal services you receive. Mm. So it's a person who has a very important role. A lot of people confuse the role with a power of attorney. And a power of attorney is specifically for financial affairs and the guardianship is uh, an appointment which you make to have the person who's responsible for medical. So there's a clear distinction between the two. Enduring means that it endures after you lose medical uh, mental capacity. So we're talking not just health and being in that point where you do not resuscitate, but actually mental capacity. Now, is that not a grey line in the legal world? How on earth do you determine when someone has mental capacity? Well, there's... It can be very difficult to determine when people have mental capacity. Um, clearly, if for people who function normally, you would consider them to have mental capacity. Under the law, there are very clear tests of mental capacity. Um, it becomes difficult when people have, for example, well, it's easy to know if they don't have med- if they don't have capacity. If, for example, they're in a coma or unconscious, mm. clearly a person in that situation doesn't have capacity. But it becomes more difficult if you have people who are, for example, suffering delusions and they might have periods of lucidity. In those sorts of cases, it becomes very difficult to establish whether people have capacity or not. Um, uh, luckily, there are some also fairly clear uh, medical tests that can be done on people, mental tests, to determine whether they have adequate mental capacity or not. And it's really just, it is quite clear, it's basically ticking a box and... Is it kind of like um, it's a survey and then if they get above a certain score, they have capacity and below they don't? Look, there are scores that can be given in in things like many many mental tests and obviously I'm not a doctor so I can't speak in detail about those sorts of things but um, it's certainly not absolutely clear cut and I certainly see from time to time cases where there's dispute as to whether or not somebody has capacity. A person might consider they have capacity themselves and others say, no, clearly you do not. So in those situations, you may need a doctor or more than one doctor or professional uh, psychiatrist, for example, to render an opinion. That gets pretty heavy, though, doesn't it? When it you're can do, to, yeah, yes. Especially when everybody's embroiled in a, a legal situation. Now, there are situations where people um, could dispute the will in the first place, where they say people can't actually do a will. You mentioned it in our chat, um, an e 
P-O-A or A-E-G. What, what, what does that mean? Sorry, that's uh, my shorthand. Yeah. E-P-O-A is the enduring power of attorney oh. and an A-E-G is an appointment of enduring guardianship. Right, okay. So, so is that is that where people can't physically do one or they can be considered to be incapacitated in the first place so their will is actually null and void? The, the important thing to consider about all of the documents that you do, the will... The power of attorney and the enduring guardianship. Because those are three. They're three different ones. Th- aren't those they? are yeah. what I would call the big three. Yeah. Um, the important thing to consider about those is that you can only do them when you have mental capacity. So, if you do, for example, a will and people consider you not to have mental capacity, then it's quite possible that in due course the will would be challenged on that basis and might be found to be invalid. Um, and similarly for uh, any attempt to do a power of attorney or or an enduring guardianship. So the first thing to do is to make sure while you have mental capacity to make sure you've done all those documents. The second thing to think about is that if your life changes, and we talked earlier about points at which you should review your affairs, then if you lose mental capacity, you can no longer change or revoke those documents. So you really should keep on top of it and make sure you keep up to date with your things and and do them while you have adequate capacity to make your decisions that you want to make. Now, speaking of decisions, sometimes those that you make um, may not be binding. Um, Can you just talk me through, like, if there's religious or ethical circumstances where, where things like a decision you make may not be bound? We talked earlier about the appointment of an enduring guardianship and a living will. And quite often in an appointment of enduring guardianship, my clients will ask me to put in a clause, which you could say in shorthand is a do not resuscitate clause. Mm. Um, However, people should be aware that those clauses, the law in New South Wales is not totally clear and those clauses may or may not be binding. You really need to seek specialist legal advice depending on your particular requirements. They may not be binding because you rely on other people to carry out their instructions in those sorts of clauses and the doctor may have good reasons for not wanting to do your wishes in that regard. They might have religious reasons for not wanting to carry out a do not resuscitate clause. They might have ethical professional liability or even be worried about the criminal aspects, potential criminal aspects of of making a choice like that so you really need to seek legal advice and uh, and ideally you give a clear indication to your family as we discussed earlier as well about precisely what your wishes are if you do and your family's clear and you're clear in your instructions about what you want then really everybody who is around you like your medical practitioners for example should give serious consideration to your wishes in that regard could i just ask um there's obviously the topic of euthanasia in in amongst all of this as well and you mentioned the different state lines and uh, is that is that one of the things that can affect your will and how it should be changed and and updated every so often say for example one state brings in to some extent an ability um to to have euthanasia as part of their legislation does that affect things or is it more very much on the micro level it's it's about the person who's who's experiencing it and their family and those around them. Can things like legislation affect your will? Things like legislation certainly can. Um, I only practice law in New South Wales, so I can't really comment on the legal position in other states. But uh, my understanding in this state is we don't have a euthanasia law. And therefore, uh, if, if the law changes in that regard, if and there's certainly been a lot of debate around that subject in recent years, then the ability of somebody to then make instructions in their uh, enduring guardianship, for example, in relation to their wishes 
on death uh, or, or on serious incapacity, I should say, um, would be it, it would be necessary to take uh, due consideration of the law as it changed at that time. And and a quick question about um, the location of where your incapacity occurs. Just because you pass away in Queensland, the will and where it's documented and where it's tabled, sorry if that's an incorrect terminology, but where it's where it's located, where it's been done, that's that's where that's what happens what happens if you're incapacitated in another state? Is it still your will that, that takes precedent because in New South Wales? The will's a different document because the will is what takes over when you die. Oh, sorry. I mean the um, the enduring power of no the guardianship right. section. Yeah. If you're incapacitated in a different state, clearly the laws of that state would apply to whatever choices you may have made. So they that it's almost overruled. Well, but you will. If, if it was legal in New <laughs> South Wales to make an end of life choice, but not legal in another state, yes. and you found yourself in another state incapacitated, then my my view would be you wouldn't be able to rely on a document that might be binding in New South Wales. That's very interesting, isn't it? With all the travel that we all do. Indeed. Indeed. Um, maybe a food for thought for another for another show altogether, because I've just thrown you a real wobbly with that one, haven't I? Yes. You have. <laughs> Let's talk about um, that that appointment because I think one of the things I'm gathering from what we're talking about when it comes to executors and attorneys and guardians is you have to be really carefully considered. And at the beginning of the program, we talked about the responsibility around that, the fact that they need to have the right skills, the amount of time that they can imagine that it would take to, and the fact that it could take some time. The involvement could, could take years for example, if if there's any issues um, with wrapping things up for your business, for instance. Yes. Are there any other tips you could give people to when they're making a particular choice on, on someone who's the, um, say, the guardian or the attorney or the executor of the will? Well, I think you really should plan in advance for what you want to happen when you die or if you become disabled. Um, for example, for a small business person, you really want to know and think about will the business continue if you're not around or unable to do something in the, or you're incapacitated, mm. um, do you have a spouse or partners or children to carry on the business after you? How's the business owned? Is it a trust? Is it a company? Is it a partnership? Do you have partners in the business with you? What sort of assets does the business have and what might they need? Um, if you're going to buy out a partner's share or they're going to buy out your share if you become incapacitated or die, then how do you set a buy-sell price in those situations? Um, where's the money going to come from? Clearly, those sorts of issues should be thought through in advance and you should be considering all those matters when you come up with an overall plan for your, let's call it an estate plan, for, uh, for, for your own purposes. Now, there's one big chunk of that estate. We've talked about small business. We've talked about uh, family assets, which I think we all sort of understand to be part of your estate. But one thing we haven't talked about, which is becoming more and more common, people looking after it themselves, is, of course, in the news quite a lot, and that's a self-managed super fund. And we have to remember that we control, we look after, we manage the, that asset, which can be quite large, um, and you need to include that as part of these documents as well. How do you incorporate... Do you, do you treat it like another business? Is that how you 
do you have to go through the same process again where you go, okay, this person is also looking after my um, my self-managed super fund? Because quite often self-managed super funds will be involved with property or maybe or maybe shares. And, and what happens to that asset moving forward um, once you've become incapacitated? What do we need to consider? A lot of people think that uh, your superannuation will fall under your will when you die, and that is not actually the case. A superannuation fund is set up under the rules and uh, and clauses which are set out in what's called a trust deed. So the deed determines what's going to happen to your superannuation fund. Um, the rules around superannuation in general or the law around superannuation and self-managed super fund funds in, gen- in particular is quite complicated. So you definitely need to take advice about that. Um, but superannuation is becoming a substantial part of a lot of people's assets. So they should think about what might happen to their superannuation in the event of their death and where they want it to go. And there's a few key issues that you need to consider if you have a small business and you have a self-managed super fund. And in particular, those, those issues relate to, no, similarly with a company, those issues relate to an effective passing of control of the super fund. So, for example, you might want the person who is able to appoint or dismiss the trustee to be a person who is the right person for you in relation to uh, administering your affairs uh, under the super fund. Um, And I guess it's important to realise as well with super funds that the way they can be distributed, the way your death benefit, for example, can be distributed is only to a, a fairly limited number of people. So it can go to your spouse or other dependents like your children or it can go into your estate. So you need to consider very carefully where that should go. Uh, a lot of super funds have something called a binding death benefit nomination and it's certainly worthwhile considering uh, whether or not you should have one of those. That is a, a binding nomination that binds the trustee of the fund to do with your death benefit uh, uh, what you want in accordance with your instructions and it's binding on the trustee. So that is one way that you can definitely control that death benefit aspect of your self-managed super fund and and any is it any superannuation policy that we're talking about here because it becomes part of your assets or just specifically self-managed super funds because you control them? Well a binding death benefit nomination can be made in a lot of super funds but not all of them. You need to be uh, mindful of the particular rules of your own super fund be it a self-managed super fund or for example an industry fund and preferably as I keep saying take advice about it. So make sure you've taken appropriate advice so you understand exactly what the rules are what you can do and make proper plans for those. And there's a lot of, um, I know there's a lot of councils and um, government bodies that run these information seminars to help people understand, just to make a starting point on what they need to consider with wills. Um, Definitely check out what's available in your local area because a lot of the local council run these in libraries and that sort of stuff to just help people um, get a handle on what's involved. Um, is that something you would recommend people do as well as seeking legal, legal advice as well? Well, certainly. I think people should try and gather as much information as they possibly can on these subjects from whatever sources seem reasonable and um, and they should definitely make sure that they bring themselves up to date the best they possibly can. We're going to take a break again here on Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We're talking to David Peaston about the issue of living wills, uh, enduring power of attorney and the guardianship um, clause or aspects of, of, of your 
death, <laughs> a subject that we haven't covered before here on Small Biz Matters. We'll be back after this short break. And welcome back to Triple H 100.1 FM. You're with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We are talking all things wills today and what you need to consider with being a small business owner. So we've covered a lot in today's topics, um, talking about how to appoint appropriate people to be looking after different aspects. We touched on the fact that your self-managed super fund is a major asset these days and needs to be considered. Now, David, what would be your top uh, tips, some strategies that people can take away from today's show that they need to consider as a small business owner when it comes to their will? I guess the things which I would be considering mostly for small business people would be uh, what they want to do with the business or what they want to happen to the business in the event of their death or disability. And, uh, and that can involve something we haven't really discussed, uh, which is insurance. So people should really consider uh, what they want to have happen and if, if their family relies on their business for their income, for example, then they should also be considering things like insurance to make sure that they've uh, taken appropriate steps, for example, to uh, cover the mortgage by way of insurance or to give the family a fund to carry on with to tide them over in a period of disability or, or, during a, or after they die. Um, they should also consider in relation to insurance the business aspects of that. So that would include, for example, working out if there's not enough business, if there's not enough money in the business to buy one partner out from another partner in the event of death or disability, then insurance can step in and, and be taken out to provide the funds necessary to do that. So that's one of the matters that people should also consider. So they should consider appropriate planning for the business in the event of death or disability. They should consider where the money might come from that might be necessary in those situations and that can involve insurance. They should consider their superannuation and how they're going to pass control of the superannuation in a way that is in accordance with their wishes. They should consider every life event that might come up and make sure that they're revisiting their will their power of attorney and their enduring guardianship, their self-managed super fund and their insurance arrangements on a regular basis. It's not set and forget. Don't leave it alone. It's something that you always see people who've had a sudden life event and, and you hear of people all the time who find themselves in a really difficult situation because they haven't properly planned for these events. And as you said, life changes, circumstance change, um, the business can change, the partners can change, your employees, a lot of different aspects. Do you have a, a kind of a, um, a time frame where people should be reconsidering these things or is it really if there's a major change? Well, you don't want to be doing when there's a major change, do you? You want to be doing it in preparation for? Most of my clients come to me when they've had a major change. For example, they've lost a spouse or a partner or something like that. Those are the sorts of events that make people think, gee, have I got my affairs in order? I would like people to think about it on a more regular basis than that so they've pre-planned a little bit better. But uh, certainly major life events should be those triggers Maybe you just have a child, for example, even something simple like having a child in a relationship which didn't previously have one. Those sorts of things should make you think about your affairs. I think there's a lot of assumptions there that we all make, um, particularly in regards to self-managed super funds, for example. I didn't even consider that to be part of your asset 
grouping, I suppose. And I think a lot of people out there might say, well, my business is just one of my assets and it just gets divvied up the way the rest of my assets do. But we don't think about um, the fact that that asset is also a source of income and needs to continue on. Another good takeaway from today's program, I think, is um, really how to consider the people who are looking after your affairs after you've become incapacitated, how they behave, what they should be expected to do, and just checking with them, asking them first, is this okay and this is what I would like to happen? Um that person, of course, can pass the baton. Can they Can they sort of hand it over to someone else if it all becomes a bit too much? Well, that's a key point you've just raised. People, you, When you choose people to be your executors or your attorneys or your guardians, you really need to ask their consent first because they can, in fact, refuse to do the job. And it's most unfortunate if you've chosen people to do those sorts of roles uh, and then become incapacitated yourself or die and the person you've chosen as your executor or an attorney or a guardian in the case of incapacity uh, chooses not to do the job. And I suppose that's what you need to re- re- redress. So you need to look at every few years as well. If Every time you're looking at your will, you need to talk to them again. Well, that's an important point. Mm. So if their lives change dramatically, then that can become a trigger point for you to look at your affairs as well. And have a backup, backup. Backup, 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 yes. Three backups. Well, look, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today. We've um, walked away with a huge amount of information. Hopefully, it'll help you take the steps or at least jot down some points about what you need to consider with these things. Uh, Give your legal team a call. See if it's being um, addressed properly, if you've already got the paperwork in place. And if you don't have a will, and I will put my hand up and say, as of two years ago, I didn't have one, even though I've got 10-year-old children. I will, And it was, it was going to America that triggered it. Um, but whatever that trigger is, if you don't have one and you have a small business and you have a family or people who rely on that income or you have a self-managed super fund or anything, any sort, anything, everyone should have one. Otherwise, you're just, I suppose, uh, laying open your loved ones um, to a lot of unnecessary suffering and hardship. Would you agree, David? I completely agree with that, Alexi. Now, how can people find out more about your um, your expertise and, and how they can um, uh, come and see you? Well, I have a website and it's peacetonlegal.com.au, www.peacetonlegal.com.au. Thank you so much for sharing with us a huge amount of knowledge. I really appreciate you being so generous with your expertise. And if you'd like to um, check in with any of our experts, we have over 130 podcasts downloadable on our website. Plus, there are now over 60 podcasts on iTunes and wherever you get your favourite podcasts. You can subscribe to the Small Biz Matters Australia channel and have a huge amount of small business education at your fingertips. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week, next Tuesday, with another great guest on Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Have an excellent week.